Hello, welcome to this latest Wild Thing podcast. In this episode, we celebrate Manx Basking Shark Watch, as the scheme comes to an end after more than a decade and a half of sightings and research into these well-known but little understood gentle giants of the sea. The good news? The sighting scheme continues under the auspices of Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch as we ponder the future for these leviathans of the sea. Jackie Hall, ex-coordinator of Manx Passing Shark Watch. It started in 2004 when I was sitting on a committee with the Manx Wildlife Trust, the Marine Committee, and somebody said, can somebody start a public sighting scheme? And basically, I didn't sit on my hands <laughs> uh, quickly enough, and the public sighting scheme and the website started in 2005, and by the end of the first year, we knew that there was research to be done. And that's really where it all started out then. So you started out from there and it seemed to have grown like Topsy somewhat. Well, it did because within the first year, it was obvious that we had basking shark hotspots, basking shark time hotspots, and we had big sharks displaying what was probably courtship behaviour large shoals, individual sharks, and most excitingly of all, very small newborn basking sharks. So as soon as I'm a marine biologist, I couldn't leave it there, really. <laughs> so that's where it started out from. How did you get dragged in? The, I say dragged in, Graham. I don't know whether you were dragged in or you volunteered. Didn't run quickly enough, I <laughs> Didn't run quickly. But actually what it was, I suppose, that we started off a kind of a tagging programme with another scientist and the information she brought wasn't that brilliant. So we had to refine the uh, the methods that we were using. So I thought, well, how, how do we make better tagging equipment? And then it led on to DNA equipment and then all sorts of other equipment. So just being an engineer, I got involved in that sort of thing. And then, of course, we had the boat. And that was my job as well, to keep the boat rolling and get the special bracketry and God knows what else on the thing. So... Yeah, I just got involved bit by bit as the, as time went by. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's been 14 years or more, maybe 15 years, I don't know, a long time of being out on the sea most summers looking at these things. Greatest experience of my life, I think. And that's the incredible thing, I think, with, with the basking sharks. I mean, obviously, I think there can't be many people on the Isle of Man who don't know about the basking sharks they'll know what they look like they'll know they've been seen around these waters for years and years i can remember seeing them occasionally when i was a kid so that's you know 50 60 years ago i dare say they go back beyond that but the incredible thing was people didn't really know a great deal about them no that's absolutely right i've met so many people who were born and bred on the isle of man who've never seen a basking shark and think they're a bit of a myth and that was one of the main aims of Manx Basking Shark Watch from the beginning, was to inform people about the basking sharks. And then once we had that first year's data, we were able to give them a lot more clues about where they might see them and when, and what they were likely to be doing. And it worked. And that's always been the incredible thing for me, I think, chatting over the years, as we have done, is the fact that here you've got this enormous creature just off our own shores, been around for a long time, and somehow or other, I was going to say it slipped through the net, which sounds a bit of a pun, but I mean, somehow or other, we just 
I just could never quite get into my head how we didn't really understand anything about their, their life cycle, realistically. I think really that they don't normally appear in, you know, in, in public view. They're normally a deep, deep or midwater shark. So that they were coming to our waters and coming to the surface was quite unusual worldwide, really. So, you know, we do get a chance to see them off, off the European side uh, of Ireland, Scotland and, and, and our waters in shallow waters. Um, but other than that, they're quite enigmatic. Nobody really knows a lot about what goes on with them. I was going to say that it's very easy not to see basking sharks. It's quite difficult to see them unless somebody shouts shark, shark and points it out to you. Um, the first thing about any wildlife is to look for it. Mm. Famously, I once was on a boat off the northeast coast of England and somebody shouted, there's a dolphin. And I said, we don't get those here <laughs> uh, because I'd been told that we didn't have them. And sure enough, there were some very lovely dolphins. And I was so much in the mindset that it wasn't there, that I wasn't even looking. So first thing, look. And of course, the other thing, the sharks don't have to come to the surface. Unlike the fellows that uh, Maxwell and Dolphin watch, they, they can only hold the breath so long and they've got to come up. So, you know, we're not necessarily going to see anything that could be, there could be thousands of them in the water. And you wouldn't really know. So it's all got to be about circumstance. And, uh, you know, things have to be right for you to be able to track these things and work with them. So really, we, work, we have been working with them very much on their terms. So this research over, like you say, what, 15, 16, 17 years or more, is it has revealed an enormous amount of new information and new data sets about these incredible creatures that uh, inhabit our waters. It turns out, for example, that they go far further afield, I think, than we ever thought they, mm. they might have done. So the, the basking shark you might have seen here in July or August, a little bit later on, could be right the other side of the world. Well, that's absolutely right. The satellite tagging was very, very interesting because a few years before we started using satellite tags on them, people thought they hibernated in the winter because you just don't tend to see them in the winter. And fishermen's experience was that they pulled them up from deep water. So they thought they were on the bottom having a little snooze. Um, and so Dr. David Sims from down south, he, Plymouth University, he started tagging them and proved that they didn't hibernate in the winter. And then our work just added to it and added to it. Everybody's satellite tagging work, not just ours. You know, other places, other universities have been satellite tagging as well. But with our tags, we've had some really interesting results. The first year we had one go across the Atlantic to Nova Scotia. And the one that went the furthest and repeatedly went from here down to Morocco, the waters off Morocco, and then came back up via Spain, France, around Ireland, up to northwest Scotland. And then we didn't hear from it again until it was down in Morocco again. Um, so they obviously do repeat migrations to great distances, basically searching for food in the right temperature waters. So that's been really interesting science. And, and the part of, again, there's this whole network of research going on, as I understand it as well, the se yourselves, Graham, and yourself over the years, but also you've been in 
contact constantly with other researchers from around the globe? If we hadn't, our work would have just been two people in a boat um, and our volunteers in a boat and in a kitchen. Um, we were incredibly lucky to link in to scientists, genetics scientists from Edinburgh University, tagging scientists from Exeter, and now Queen's University in Ireland, mm. and other scientists and other NGOs globally. And it added huge value to the work that we were able to achieve. And of course, because they're all cutting edge scientists, they were able to analyze the data and map the data and help us produce amazing scientific publications in peer-reviewed journals, we wouldn't have been able to do that. And this has been fascinating. I've been lucky enough to go out with you once or twice on the boat. And like you say, there's been, it's been sort of three parts in many ways. There's been spotting the animals in the first place. There's been photographing them and getting getting a database again of the various nicks and things on their fins so you can actually tell one creature from another. There's been the satellite tagging program going on off and on over the years, and that's been getting more and more advanced as the years have gone past with the different types of satellite uh, tags which you could attach. And then more simply, which but which yields an awful lot of information, as I say, from a sort of a database point of view, getting these DNA samples, which, easier said than done, basically is just getting a, a sample of the of the slime off the backs of the creatures. It sounds, I mean, it's, it's amazing how much this can reveal. Sounds easy, not necessarily quite so easy to do in practice. Oh, yes, it was, it's not as easy as it is to do. <laughs> it sounds easy, but it, it's quite... I think what we we understood and what I learned from the the old shark hunters was we read the books and how they approach sharks. And most of them said if you if if you approach a shark on its starboard side, it's more relaxed than if you, if you approach it on its port side. We tried that and it's true. And we also found that if you just gentled up to a shark on its uh, starboard side, it wouldn't swim away from you. It would just keep pace. And that would allow us to get close enough to do what we wanted to do. But sometimes when you touch the fin, you know, they can be, they, they, you can startle them a little bit and you have to be careful of the reaction that you don't damage this, you know, they, you don't damage it and it doesn't damage you because it's a rather large thing to start thrashing around. Is this the right moment to mention that the only reason we could do this was we had a very strict um scientific license from DEFA. Mm -hmm. I think it is the right moment. Absolutely. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, we had we had to develop we had to develop methods to get get close to these uh, fellows and it, it was it, yeah, it was a lot of trial and error, you know, trying to get close, you you get within 20 yards and the swim away. You think, "Okay, let's try that again." And of course, we could only do it so many times within the scope of the license before we had to say, "Okay, we'll try that with another one." But yeah, it wasn't easy. Um but I think, how many samples did we get in the end, Jack? I was just thinking about how long the pole was yeah. itself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, over 100. Yeah, how long was the pole? Big. Three, three yeah, metres, Five metre. Well, three to five metre pole, really. Yeah. Um, With a little scrubby pad on the end. Graham ended up being a question on QI. Because no, of that's that. fame. That is fame. That is yeah. fame, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yes, totally. Well, that's been the whole thing, I think. As you say, it's all been done by the book, as you say, Jackie, with all the required licenses, making sure and always with that emphasis on getting the information required with the minimum of disturbance to the species, absolutely. which has been always yeah. absolutely crucial and, and sort of one of your main raison d'etre throughout the research. All's been done incredibly professionally and with huge enthusiasm, which I think, I think without that enthusiasm, 
you, you couldn't have done the work in any case. Mm. And it's just, it's just been the fascination which has driven you over the years, I think. As I know, talking to you, Graeme, you, you just said you just got sucked into this fascination with the whole creature. I can't tell you about the joy it would be when you're standing on the bow of a small boat, trickling up behind a very large shark in sunny days, when you see the dappled shade of the, the, the water on its back. It looks almost like a tiger shark. And it's massive and stretched out in front of you, swimming so gently. And you are you are standing so close to one of the most magnificent creatures that's swimming in the sea. It's just tremendous. What what else would you want for a reward? It's fabulous. And they can live to ripe old ages, I think, I understand. Well, we're not quite sure. That's another one of those mysteries. All the textbooks say, um, looking at the rings on their cartilaginous vertebrae, uh, maybe up to 50 years. But I suspect that in the past, before they were hunted almost to extinction for their liver oil, I suspect that they got a lot bigger and therefore maybe older because there are historic reports from the 1700s of them being 13 metres long. Whereas, personally, we were very, very frightened when we saw a couple that were 9 metres long. Mm. Um, and most of them, the top end size is is eight eight and a half meters which of course is long enough big enough <laughs> the biggest so, one i've seen is slightly i would say between nine and ten meters and it was a very silvery gray animal and it swam from some divers who'd been filming the sharks some distance away swam towards our boat and it was the tiniest fin that came out you know just the tip of a fin and when this thing emerged you know beyond the reflections it was so big and it just slowly glided under the boat and every i think everyone you know there was electricity in the air it was such a big big old animal didn't see it again it never showed itself again it, it was just remarkable it is incredible they are and i think anyone who's ever seen one uh, is always sort of in awe of it just the sort of the size of it the beauty of it it's it's sort of silence magnificence as well going in there yeah. just to see them are yeah. truly amazing creatures a lot of research a lot of time but of course yep time uh, time does roll on and um, you've now pretty much decided it's to, time to hang up your pole i was going to say to a large <laughs> degree from that point of view and going out because it has been in a huge amount of work and in essence it's been a one-man, one-woman with helpers operation over mm. the years driving this forward. Well, we're so, getting towards 70 now, Howard. You know, it's, we're nearer 70 than 65. And I think it's possibly time to hand it on to younger people, really. <laughs> and we, we have got four of us around the table today. So uh, Jen and Bryony from uh, Mags Whale and Dolphin Watch, this, this is where you come in. So happily, and this is the really good news about this whole story, is that it, it this isn't just going to stop dead with all this wonderful research over the years. It is going to carry on and be absorbed into the work of Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch. I'm Jen Adams. I'm the Outreach and Education Manager at Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch. Yes, so we've um, we've been running since 2005, so going for the same length of time as um, Manx Baskin Shark Watch. And we've been focusing on cetaceans, so whales, dolphins, porpoises. And over the years, we've always 
got on really well with with these guys um, and collaborated and shared sightings of sharks and they will share sightings of cetaceans to us so it will just work really well and works you know just works hand in hand and it's the perfect fit I'm Bryony Manley. I'm a researcher with Maxwell and Orphanwatch. And where do you come into this on Bryony then? Where's your uh, background on this? Um, I'm a researcher, so I've studied marine biology um, and got involved at Maxwell and Orphanwatch as part of my master's degree initially um, and couldn't couldn't stay away. <laughs> Had to keep coming back. And it's very much the same kind of story as um, Max Basking Shark Watch. We realised... Um, that people weren't studying these creatures in Manx waters. Um, and like you were saying, such big animals that can be seen around the island and, and no one was studying them. So that's where um, the research developed. And, and once you get into it, you can't you can't stop. You have to keep, keep going and find out the rest of the answers. It becomes addictive. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. So in practical terms then, uh, as we head into sort of the end of 2022, the back end of this season and obviously seasons, seasons to come... Uh, People who are going to be spotting or the sort of the spotting uh, project from the point of view of basking sharks will now transfer over to Maxwell and Dolphin Watcher. Yes, so from now onwards, um, all sightings of basking sharks should come to Maxwell and Dolphin Watch. So if you go onto our website, whereas before it, there was just a report form for whales and dolphins, there's now two separate forms. There's a dedicated form for reporting your basking sharks to us. So please, please, please report all sightings you have. Um, to Manxwell and Dolphin Watch and it all gets collaborated on our main website database and um, hopefully many of the listeners out there would have been to visit our visitor centre in Peel on Michael Street um, and you would have seen that in the front window we have a rolling sightings list of whales and dolphins um, so um, in the next coming month we're going to work to split that screen so there'll be a sighting stream of the Baskin sharks in there as well and obviously you can come in and, and learn about these amazing animals too and I think that's one of the main things, isn't it? If, if people get get educated or they get a, an understanding about these animals and people appreciate them more, then they start to care more about them and actually what happens to them, which is so important, this educational aspect of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's so important, education. You know, you can do as much research as you want over a long period of time, but unless you're actually talking about that research to the general public and getting the local community involved you know you you are making a difference obviously but you're not getting the word out out there so it's absolutely vital that the manx community sees baskin sharks and cetaceans as their own and something they need to look after and conserve and be proud of now we mentioned uh, when we were chatting um with jackie and graham that earlier on there was the wonderful tags the satellite tags that been going on now that won't be carrying on under Maxwell and Dolphin Watch, but the tags have gone out again this year, Jackie. Well, um, they have, and the reason being was that we had a very generous donation for satellite tagging basking sharks from the Manx Lottery Trust three years ago. And a mixture, a perfect storm, in fact, of COVID and very low shark numbers meant that we weren't getting those satellite tags on to basking sharks. I personally didn't see a single basking shark last year, and I saw two the year before. You know, the numbers have just plummeted, and we're not sure why. And so we were a bit worried because the batteries eventually wear down, and the batteries were still good, so we thought, we'll make a decision and we asked the Manx Lottery Trust was it all right if we gave them to scientists in Ireland where they have been having big numbers of basking sharks um, 
to put on in Ireland. And the original plan was that Graham and I were going to go over and help them put tags on. Uh, that didn't happen because suddenly the sharks were there. We'd already sent the tags over and they've put those tags on to sharks. We're delighted that they put them on in a place called Ackill Island where they used to hunt the basking sharks. And it was a place where they were very largely responsible at the time for nearly wiping out the northeast population. So that's terrific. That's a real feeling of progress. and It of, really yeah. is. We went to Ackle Island a few years ago and they remember that history very, very well in massive, very good information boards. And they're quite straightforward and honest about what happened to the shark numbers and things. Um, so the scientists have put those on and I think it's very important that that story still goes out to the uh, general public and particularly the Manx public. And so what we'll be doing is we'll be diverting stories from the scientific t teams at Queen's University in Belfast towards the uh, Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch so the public will still know what's happening. And it's a perfectly valid thing to put those shark tags on in Ireland because the genetic work and the satellite tagging work that we've done in the past has shown that there's a huge overlap. Their sharks are our sharks and vice versa. Which is fascinating in itself. And I can't leave it there with, as you mentioned, just the change in numbers, which I think anyone who's ever watched sharks casually or professionally or anywhere in between has noticed over the last few years. Notwithstanding what you've just been saying, that I don't think there is a definitive answer as to the changing numbers. But bearing in mind, I've got a, a studio full of marine biologists and people will no doubt have a view. I wonder if we could just speak for a moment about these, these changing numbers with ideas of what it could be. Because as you say, the numbers without a doubt have changed off the Manx shores, just across the way they seem to have gone up around the Irish They shores. have, and I don't think that's coincidence. Um, the first and most obvious theory, because that's all we have, is that it's natural variation. And uh, Dr David Sims wrote a paper many years ago about just this. Uh, you know, in the same way that you have climate in the air, you have, if you want to call them, current climatic systems in the sea. And sometimes things like the Gulf Stream penetrate further into the Irish Sea and sometimes less far into the Irish Sea. And that's going to affect where the tidal fronts are, where the plankton accumulates, etc. So that's the most obvious first answer. We don't know. Could be natural variation. And then, of course, the next thing to do is to blame um, climate change because these animals like a narrow temperature range, uh, sort of 10 to 15, 16, and that's where their food is and that's where the sharks are. Pretty much all year round, with some notable exceptions, from the tagging work we know that. Um, and then it could be something else, um, and we're not at all sure and we're quite hesitant because you've got to be careful about pointing fingers, but humans are doing a lot of activity in the Irish Sea. Um, think about all those wind farms. Think about all the um, surveying that's going on to look for minerals and fossil fuels. And those 
wind farms, they all have very large electrical cables going from them. Sharks don't like electrical currents. We know that from our research. Just our little tiny cameras, they don't like it. And then invariably you have people saying, and what about the fact that you've been putting tags on them? Has that put them off? Um, I personally don't think so. But of course, I would say that, wouldn't I? Um, no, you'd say that, but actually, we've you know, I've tagged the same shark twice. Yes. And, and hesitated to tag it a third time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's come back two years and four years on. So it's, you know, it's not... And if these things really scurried away when you approach them, but they don't, they just swim on. It's almost like they don't notice what you've done to them. And do you have a favoured theory yourself, Graham? Well, you know I do. Any of the <laughs> But, I, you know, I... Having stood on the front of the boat with a um, small array of electronic goods, a five-volt camera puts them off, DC camera puts them off. It, they'll, they'll just shut their mouths and swim off with, as soon as you get close to them. And I don't know, you put a 20,000-volt cable DC down the middle of the Irish Sea, does it have an effect? Tell me about it. Mm -hmm. I have my opinion on it, but I don't want to... Uh, inflict that on everybody so else. These are all opinions. I think one thing that's going to come out of Queen's University's tagging program this year is we're going, because they've put on 35 satellite tags altogether, right at the beginning of the season, like last week. And that's going to show us exactly where 35 animals have gone um, for the duration of those tags being on. And if they're avoiding certain areas, it should show up very clearly with that tagging study. Bryony, Jen, do you have any of your own feelings on to why the numbers might have changed with regard to basking sharks over the years? Or be, these are just opinions, <laughs> or just ideas of, of your own, where they're like... So yeah, it's difficult mm. to know. I mean, this is why it's so important to, um, to keep the database going. So with Jack and, and Graham um, stopping the, the tagging, and obviously there won't be any tagging work going on, there won't be any DNA sampling continuing in Max Waters, but it's really, really important that obviously the public sightings are still coming in and that that database is continued to carry on into the future and to be a massive long-term data set. And it's only when we get to maybe another 10 years down mm -hmm. the line that we can really look and in, in down into the nitty-gritty and see and try and work see. out exactly mm -hmm. what has happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's why long-term data sets are so important because like, if it is natural variation, well, we don't even have 20 years of information yet. So maybe they go in some kind of big 25-year cycle and in a few years' time they'll be back to the numbers that people remember from a decade ago. Um, but that's why you can only know that with long-term study and, and collecting that data consistently. And it's the same with the dolphins and, and the whales. It's a fascinating topic. I know we could all talk for hours on this one. I can't leave without just saying how, how do we all feel? I mean, the great news is the work, as you say, is carrying on. The research will carry on. We're still going to get people there putting these sightings in and hopefully we will continue to find out more about mm. these fascinating creatures. How do we all feel about their futures going forward? Do you think, do you feel, because they, as you say, they have been victimised in the past and nearly hunted to extinction. Happily now, we do seem to have turned that corner. Do, do we feel relatively positive about their, their future in the, in the seas, wherever they may be, not just around the Isle of Man? I think one of the good things is that they're obviously breeding. We're seeing small sharks, newborn sharks, both alive and swimming happily in the sea and sadly being caught in trawling nets and washing up dead. 
on beaches. So we have a lot more evidence of newborn basking sharks at the end of this project than we, well, we had none at the beginning, to be honest. One shriveled specimen in a museum from the 1700s was all that we had to start with. So we know they're breeding and we also know that they're starting off at one and a half metres kind of length and that we're getting a lot of four metre long basking sharks as well. So they're obviously a lot of them surviving that first thing. And to answer your question, how optimistic are we? I think one of the biggest problems that faces the basking shark population is accidental bycatch. One of our really big female sharks that we tagged was accidentally caught in a trawl net by an Irish fisherman. And what he told me was that the big sharks break the nets and break free just by their pure weight. Mm. The fishermen, of course, are not happy about it. They'd prefer to avoid that. So we're hoping that the scientific data that we're getting will eventually lead to the fishermen not having their nets ruined, etc. But he also said that a lot of the very small basking sharks, um, up to three, four metres, were killed in the nets. They did not break free. And... Um, it would be nice to find a way of enabling that to happen. And the fishermen agree. The other thing about all of that is that for many years, we were seeing evidence on the dorsal fins of basking sharks of them being caught in trawl nets, uh, you know, equally equidistant scars on, on the dorsal fins. So we knew that they were being caught in, in nets and breaking free. And I think it's very no noticeable that that was mainly in sharks who were over five metres long that we were seeing that. Um, so that's a risk to them. And of course, human interest and um, people getting too close and disturbing them is also a problem. Graham, are you, you positive, negative in between? You know what? I, I kind of worry because the world is having to change its, its energy policy. And when we first discovered things like interconnectors going through areas of ocean, well, they were going to connect wind farms to the national grid. But as time goes on, these interconnectors are going to be put more and more around the world. And they're going to be used to conduct electricity from other sources as well. It'll be rectified to DC. And then it'll be, you know, it'll be a network of this stuff that will go all around the world. You know, you could talk about uh, cables coming from the Sahara to Europe. Huge, long, high-voltage DC connectors. It may or may not affect the migration patterns of many animals, I don't know. But before we go willy-nilly doing this, we should really understand a little bit more. And I, just, I think because we don't understand it, I think there's a danger to, to many species, not just the basking shark, but you know many species in the ocean. And what about Jen, Brian, do you think uh, what Graeme said, is that going to be very much the case going forward? This, I suppose, always a difficult balancing act between the needs of mankind and what we need from power and green power and new sources coming forward, as Graeme was mentioning, and the natural world. Yeah, I think it's just a case of um, scientists doing ongoing research to see what you know the effects of these, these cables have on the different species that they're looking at, um, and then we can work together and look forward. Um, and 
one thing I was going to jump in and mention earlier, actually, about um, Basque and Shark numbers is in the last two years, there have been quite a few of them off the west coast of Ireland. There was a massive, a massive aggregation of them last summer, um, and they're displaying lots of different courtship displays and things. So, you know, they are around. Um, it's just that they're not quite in the Isle of Man yet. Um, although we've had three sightings so far um, since the 1st of May. And what are we on now? What's the date today? It's the uh, 12th. 12th. Really the 12th. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. 12 days, we've had three sightings. Mm. Now, in 2020, we only had three sightings of basking sharks in the whole entire year. And last year, there were about eight sightings, I think. Um, yeah. So. I would love to be wrong. <laughs> yeah. I really would love to be wrong. Mm. Mm. Um, and by sightings, of course, we mean ones that have been reported to either us or to mm. Manx Basking Shark Watch. Because obviously, you know, a lot of sightings do just fall through the net because people don't report them or people think oh somebody else will report that animal um, mm. but it's really really important if you see a shark or any form of cetacean that you do report to us and just remind us again then for sightings going forward now for basking sharks and of course whales and dolphins so all sightings come to manx whale and dolphin watch so you can type that into any search engine and our website will come up um, if you want to type the address in it's www.mw dw.net um, and there's a report form on there two different report forms there's no need to register to report a sighting to us it's just a really simple form just detailing the sighting the time date the location the pager and that kind of thing and it all gets compiled or you can pop into our visitor center in peel which at the moment is open on saturdays 10 to 4 um, we're changing the hours weekly as well and we post every monday on facebook for sort of weekday hours Riley, jen Graham, Jackie, great talking to you. Happy retirement, you two. I Thank know you, you won't be able to resist still <laughs> looking you. at basking sharks. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. I'm still looking for them off the balcony <laughs> every day. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.